I don't know um, if you can remember the first time that you ever stood up for something that you believed in, whether that's a memory that you can pull out of the, 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 you know, the filing cabinet of your mind, but, but I can. Um, I was 14, I was at secondary school, um, and it was at a time when teachers used to go on strike. Um, some of you are similar age to me remember that we did go through a period where teachers went on strike quite a bit and, and nothing like it is today like when they went on strike you weren't allowed on the building premises because they, they couldn't look after you and keep you safe so they used to think a great idea was to push 700 young people into the town centre of Dudley and you could do what you wanted as long as you came back for lessons um, because they couldn't look after you on site and keep you safe bit bizarre now you couldn't get away with that could you I bet some teachers would love that let's just get rid of them all for like 30 minutes 45 minutes a day but um but obviously that had a knock-on effect which meant that there were no school dinners being served and so you had to buy your lunch every day um Dudley wasn't like it, it what it is now it, it actually had a load a lot of shops that were open that you wanted to go in and actually buy stuff um <laughs> so so actually every day you had to get your lunch and about the second or third week into this um, we suddenly realised, the group of us suddenly realised that actually those of us that were getting free school, free school meals were having to pay every day and, and so actually some days they were going without food because that they couldn't afford to actually buy their lunch and so we thought, do you know what, if the teachers can go on strike then so can we. So we decided that in the afternoon when we came back from lunch, there was a big bank, I used to go to a school called Sir Gilbert Clawton, the building is still there but the school isn't open, don't read anything into that. Um, so we'd sit on the big bank opposite that's still there and they used to come out with loud hailers and go, come in for your lessons now, come in and registration and we said no. We sat out on the bank and the whole reason was that um, we weren't going to come in for lessons until they actually addressed the fact that children weren't, weren't eating because of decisions that they were making. So surely they could provide food for, for young people that needed that every day, and then we would come in. And so the first day, it was like, you'll get so many detentions, you know, and, and all that was going on, and then day two came. So in the afternoons, we just wouldn't go back into school. And it got on the news. It literally got on the news. Somebody from um, the Express and Star came down. And in fact, the weird thing was, after the half-nine service, somebody came to me, this is true, and said to me, you must know my husband, because he sat out on that bank as well. <laughs> So it is a true story. It is a true story. And, and so as it went on, we came to a compromise where, you know, they would let the school dinner ladies actually provide food before the young people had to then leave the premises, but at least they got fed. So these young people got food and we got a month's detention, which I thought wasn't quite, was quite a good payoff, really. And that was the first time I could remember actually standing up for something that I believed that was true because it was something that impacted my values, it was something that, that was a test to me, really, that wasn't just my noble intentions. It wasn't just I told you that I believed that. I actually did something that actually showed that what I believed in actually made a difference to my life. And people like that have really impacted me. And people like the guy in this film we're talking about this morning, Hacksaw Ridge, a guy called Desmond Doss. He was a person of principle and of commitment and of courage. And I want to ask you a question this morning. How far would you go... How far would you go to defend or insist on the convictions that you say you hold? How far would you go? How far would I go? And this is a film about sticking to your convictions, even when others oppose you and think you're crazy and it's unrealistic. And whether you consider yourself to be a Christian this morning as somebody who follows Jesus or not, you know what? We all have convictions. And what they're rooted in really matters. What they're rooted in really matters because people's lives can be impacted and changed, you know, by what we believe and what we do with what we believe. And, um, and as a Christian, our faith should come with conviction. 
It has to come with conviction. And that conviction should lead me to have courage, and that courage should lead me and you to action. And so this morning, we're going to look at you know, what it means to have godly convictions and what can happen when our faith is under fire. So yes, yeah, so we're in the third week of our At The Movies series. Who's been here for all three weeks? Who's actually been here all three weeks? Brilliant. That's great. So you'll remember what the last two films were then. So, so week one, Leon spoke about the film. Arrival, yeah, and we talked about how, you know, God arrived on our planet. And that whole question about, is there anybody out there? And the big resounding answer to that one is, yes, there is. Somebody really big, actually. And, and aren't, we, aren't we grateful and thankful for that this morning? So week two, Andy Hancock spoke about? La La Land. You know, he's, not, he's downstairs now with, with the Excel, but I was so um, surprised that nobody did it in his accent. But um, maybe it's because he's not here. It's not so funny if he's not in the room, is it? But he did a great job last week about talking about the tensions that we have with our calling and pursuing that calling. And, and this week, we're, we're looking at Hacksaw Ridge. And for those of you that can breathe a sigh of relief, it's not a horror film. It is actually a re- true story about a guy's convictions, and that's what we're, we're going to open up this morning. And, you know, researchers tell us that we tend to base our decisions on four ways, tend to base our decisions on four motivators, really. And the first one is circumstances. That's what's happening around me. So how am I going to um, respond? How, what things am I going to decide to do based on what's happening around me? And the second thing is convenience. And that's really what's easy. What's the, what's the path of least resistance? What can I get away with? What, how can I address this without putting too much energy and effort into it, really? And the third thing is criticism. We'll base our decisions and our choices on what other people think. So, so what you think about something I might do may influence the way that I respond. And the fourth thing is researchers say is conviction, that we base our decisions on conviction and you know only decisions I believe that we base on our convictions are things that will last and leave a legacy your convictions will leave a legacy and I say yours because that kind of faith requires us to stand alone to stand alone and the truth is though isn't as a general rule you know we'd rather not thank you I'd rather not stand alone I quite I'm happy if there's a group of us doing something and there's a group of us going somewhere and there's a group of us making a communal decision on something. And, but most of us would rather not stand alone. And in fact, it'd be true to say, wouldn't it? And my mum used to say this to me, you want to leave well enough alone. There's a good black country saying for you, leave well enough alone. You know, and actually we respond to that and we'll, sometimes we will leave well enough alone. And sometimes that's right to do, but not all the time. But we leave well enough alone because we don't want to rock the boat We don't want to be judgmental and we'd rather just live and let live. Does it really matter? If I let can I let that go? Does it really matter if I if I speak up for that or speak into that? Is that really gonna make a difference? But actually being a Christian, being somebody that says they follow Jesus, actually we're meant to stand up for the truth of God. Even when others tell us to sit up and to shut up and sit down. We need to be talking, even when others tell me to shut up, I need still to be speaking out. So what is a conviction then? What am I basing this whole premise on? And a conviction is this, it's a deeply held belief that guides your life. A deeply held belief that guides your life. So it's not an opinion. It's not an opinion because I'll argue with you about my opinion. We'll debate about my opinion and it's not a preference either. It's not a preference, because a preference is based on my emotions, it's influenced by you, and I often abandon it. So what do I mean? So say if I liked vanilla cheesecake yesterday, 
And then one of you takes me out to a dessert shop and I have the best trifle in the world. That's going to be my preference. So I've forgotten all about cheesecake and I've moved on to trifle, which actually, actually needs to be done without sponge because that's, that's the best trifle in the world. But actually, thanks, Dan. So me and Dan are out for dessert later. So, so yeah, so that's a preference because I can abandon them. But you see, conviction is something I would die for. It's something you would die for. It's something you would sacrifice for. It's based on principles. And if you're a Christian this morning, it needs to be based on what God thinks, on his opinion. My principles need to be influenced by what God thinks. So think of all the people who've made the greatest impact in the world. If you can pull those through from that filing cabinet in your brain, you know, all those people that have made a great impact in the world. They were people, I would suggest you, that have the deepest convictions. And do you know what? They probably weren't all the smartest. They probably weren't all the brightest or the best educated. They probably weren't even the most wealthiest or even the most famous in their day. They just had a deep conviction. Like the lead character in our film today, Desmond Doss, in Hacksaw Ridge. You know, he enlists in the war effort and um, he excels in his boot camp. In fact, he actually outperforms all the other people in his group, but he stands his ground in refusing to handle a rifle. And we saw it in the clip there. He can't touch a rifle. And I would imagine that caused a bit of tension. Because actually, when I'm going into war and you're standing next to me and you haven't got a rifle, which is the thing that I think is going to protect me, we're not going to get on very well. Because you're supposed to be protecting me and having my back. And how can, in, in, in our human intellect, how can that work if you haven't got the thing that is actually given to protect us in that environment? And his whole career is put on trial. He goes to a court-martial. And everyone questions if he can actually serve his country without carrying a rifle into battle. But tell you what, he more than proves himself. And if you haven't seen the film, I'd really encourage you to do that. You know, he confronts the Japanese as a big counterattack. They have to climb that rope ladder and retreat down pretty quickly that you saw in that clip at the start. And Desmond Doss stays behind. He stays behind despite risking his own safety. He refuses to abandon those who need him the most. And throughout the night, he manages to drag and carry the wounded back to the edge of the cliff. And he lowers them down one by one to the medics below. So much so that by the end, he's amazingly pulled 75 men to save. This is a true story, guys. You can look him up. 75 guys. And because of his heroism, he became the first conscientious objector in American history to be awarded the Medal of Honor. Do you know, that's truly remarkable for me. But the most compelling thing in this whole film is when towards the end, the company has to go back again and attack again. And they refuse to go unless Desmond goes with them. They go on strike a little bit, really. They refuse to go unless Desmond goes with them. And the whole company waits for him to finish praying before they start that attack. Because they don't necessarily believe in what he believes but because he believes, they believe in him. And his prayer mattered. You know, his deeply held convictions gave others the strength that they needed. And I look at that and I think, so Jane, what keeps you from speaking out often? What prevents you from declaring publicly what you believe? Not just what you believe, but what you know to be true. And it encouraged me, you know, because this isn't a new problem at all. 
Not a new problem. Because 2,000 years ago, the Bible says this in John chapter 7. It says, no one had the courage to speak favorably about Jesus in public. No one had the courage to speak out about Jesus in public. And even Paul, the great guy Paul, needed a bit of encouragement sometimes. You know, in Acts 18, it says that one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. And it got me thinking, you know, that in the world that we live in at the moment, in the environment that we're in, in the challenges that we have as, as, as communities and as nations, do you know what? We never need to hear anything better than this this morning. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. And why is that so important? It's because everybody else is speaking up about what they believe, aren't they? My social media feed and yours is going to be full of people's opinions and people's recommendations and people's you know, ideas about what we should be doing and why we should be doing it and why that's true. Everyone is telling me their worldview because it's the lens that they see life through. Everything is filtered through that lens. And you have a worldview and so do I. And it's the belief I build my life on. You know, influences how I see myself. It influences how I see you. It influences how I view my past and my present and my future. It influences how I see good and evil. Everything. You know, every time I make a decision, I access this worldview database that's in my brain and decide, because I believe this, I'm going to do that. Because I believe this, I'm going to do that. It's how I decide what I decide. It's how I choose what I choose. And this is why it's so important that my worldview, my convictions are rooted properly and soundly. And why is that? Because the problem is that my worldview can be influenced and heavily changed by you. People in my world. People in my environment. And the truth is, until I was a Christian, until I I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I probably never even thought about what my convictions were. I didn't sit down one day and write them all out in my journal I think that's how I'm going to live my life. That's how I'm going to set, set my store up. That's what the journey I'm going to make. You know, my convictions weren't based on the word of God. They were based on the world. They were based on the front page of newspapers. They were based on comments and opinions from my peers, who I hung around with. But those views are always biased because they have a perspective and a filter. And without a foundation of God, without me knowing Christ, my convictions probably came from three areas and they're the same ones that yours would have come from. First thing, materialism. What's materialism? That's the acquisition of stuff. And Jesus says in Luke 12, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. My valuables don't determine my value. And as someone more wiser than me put it like this, my net worth does not determine my self-worth. I wish I'd thought of that, but I didn't. But it's true. My net worth does not determine my self-worth. The second thing is this big word called hedonism. And what does hedonism mean? Basically, it means whatever feels good is good. Whatever feels good is good. Pleasure is my everything. As long as I'm happy, as long as I'm doing what pleases me, then everything is fine. But the Bible has something to say about that too. Solomon in Proverbs 21 talks about, are you addicted to thrills? What an empty life you must have. The pursuit of pleasure, he says, is never satisfied. And why is that? Because there is never enough. Once you've tasted something, you will always want a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And the third thing is individualism. And what is that all about, really? That's all about what I want comes first. 
What I want comes first. I'm going to look out for number one. And if you notice, even products play to that, don't they? The things that we use, iPhone, iPad, MySpace, YouTube, all about me. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. God did not create you for you. God did not create you for you. And Philippians 2 says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Jesus took it deeper than that. He said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. I don't know how often you hear those words in your world. I never hear them. I never hear them in the world outside these four walls in that sense. Deny yourself. It's more like love yourself, serve yourself, live for yourself. But the Bible talks a lot, you know, about the dangers of living a self-centered life. And if Desmond Doss had based his convictions on self-centeredness, do you know what? The story would have been a whole lot different. In fact, there wouldn't have been a story at all. There would not have been a story at all. So what do we build our convictions on then? I want to suggest to you that we build them on something that's going to last. Please build them on something that is going to last. Because everything changes in this world. Fashion, science, even psychology is changing all the time as we learn more but there's only one thing that never changes that I know to be true and that's the word of God it never ever changes and why because God's truth cannot change and even if I don't like it it still tells me the truth there are loads of things I don't like sometimes but God will always tell me the truth you know Isaiah 40 verse 8 says the grass withers and the flowers fade But the word of our God stands forever. And we can be thankful for that this morning. And grateful for that this morning. So what were Desmond's convictions? Do you know what? They're the same ones that our convictions should be. The first thing. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's all about God. And loving God has to be my first priority. And there's that famous scripture in Matthew 22 that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, This is the first and greatest commandment. And I want to say to you this morning, with all love and respect, that the greatest thing and the most important thing in your life and in my life is to get to know the God who created you. Is to get to know the God who created you. But if you put Jesus first in your life, as we're encouraging you to do, and and I'm encouraged to do, and if I really start to love you more than anything else in my world, I'm going to have opposition. And I know that because Jesus told me. And he told me in John 15, 21, he said, people will do to you exactly what they did to me. So don't be surprised when people oppose you and say all manner of things about you. So what did they do? Well, they misunderstood him. They judged him. They lied to him and lied about him. They harassed him. They made fun of him. And we all know how the story ends, don't we? Eventually... Eventually, they killed him. And when I first became a Christian, you know, um, even though I knew in my head that that didn't mean that my life was going to be trouble and trauma-free, it didn't mean that everything would go smoothly. Do you know what? Deep down inside of me, I kind of think I did believe that. So that when the first thing happened that rocked my faith or rocked my world or, or tossed me about or caused me to think through it again, I'd say to God, what are you doing? This shouldn't be happening to me. Me and you have got this relationship going. Me and you have got this thing going, God. And, you know, and we're family and these sort of things shouldn't come into my world because because you're my father and, and really, you know what, you should be looking out for me. 
And actually when those things happen, there was such a temptation to give up. There was such a temptation to say, this is just too hard. Do you know what? I didn't put my hand up for that. When I came to know Jesus, I didn't sign up for that part of the deal. And it really brought out that deep belief in me that, that my life, you know, was going to be trouble or even trauma free. And I lost a few good friends early on, really, because of decisions that I made. And, and I want to say to you this morning, if you're tempted to bail out on God, if you are tempted to, to say no more, I've had enough, I'm done with this Christian thing because life may have taken a turn that you weren't expecting or that you hadn't chosen... Or do you know what? You may be coming up against a little opposition at the moment, rather even externally or internally. And by internally, I mean some of the thoughts that we think, I'm just not feeling this anymore. I haven't got that, that same thing with God that, that I had when I first gave my life to him, Jane. You know, I just can't, don't think I can feel him anymore. I'm just not, just not feeling this whole deal. And so, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop coming to life group. I'm going to stop coming to church regularly because I'm just not, it's just not doing it for me. Then do you know what, what I'm going to say this morning is really going to apply to you and really going to help you. And if the truth's known, it will apply to all of us and help all of us because we've all wanted to jump ship at some time. We've all wanted to bail out at some points. And the truth is, I still have those moments. But here's the question, why don't I jump? Why do I stay rooted and firmly seated in that boat with God? Because it has to come back to my convictions. It has to come back to conviction, guys. And if you start living for Jesus, it's going to upset some people around you. Have you ever asked your question, why do people get so upset when you just make a decision to follow Jesus? You know, why is it that makes people so irritated and frustrated and angry sometimes? Maybe it's because you make them nervous. Maybe because, you know, you're saying things aren't really what life is, is all about with money and, and acquiring things and living your life solely for you. You're saying, actually declaring now that actually that isn't what life is all about. And it makes them realize that that isn't what life is all about. And so they get irritated at you. Or maybe, maybe you challenge them to make a lifestyle adjustment. And they may, not, may, may love their lifestyle. They may love what they're doing. But actually, deep down, you're challenging the decisions that they're making and the choices that they're making. So they get frustrated at you. Or maybe some people love being more popular than they love doing the right thing. And so please don't be surprised when people disagree with you or, or go way past that point and really start to, to maybe make fun of you who harass you or mock you for your faith or say, where is your God now? Look what's happening in your life. I'll tell you where your God is. He's right in that boat with you, whether you can feel him or not. And the second thing is, is that fact that this church will last forever. Not life central per se, but I really hope it does in some shape or form. I really hope it does. But the global church is going to last forever because the church is here because God wants a family. Have you ever thought a thousand years from today what will exist from this world? What is it that we're doing and engaging with and working with that is going to stand the test of time? World powers will change. Won't always be Donald Trump. I nearly said praise Jesus then, but cut that out. Microsoft will have been superseded by somebody else. Apple may not be the most best product on the market for us to engage with. Can't think of a world without Apple, but there you go. But, but a thousand years from now, who knows? Nothing man-made lasts. But there'll always be a church. There will always be a church. And the church was made to last forever. 
it will carry on even after this earth is gone. So if that is true, and that is something I want to belong and believe in, that is something I need to build my conviction on. The church. So if this church is going to last forever, we'd better start getting along with each other. Because we're going to be together for a long, long time. For a long, long time. So as well as loving God, which is our number one conviction, our second conviction must be that we need to love his church. And the Bible says Jesus died for this church. And you don't get it, I'm sorry to say, that if you say you love God but you can do without the church, you've missed it. You've missed it. Please, please hear me right this morning. Be someone who loves the church, not just somebody who uses it. Be somebody who loves the church, not just somebody that uses it. Commit to joining us. Let your heart be here. Let your heart be here. Join a life group. Get involved in serving. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And we're not perfect. But what family is? But you stick up for your family, don't you? You know what? I can say anything about my brothers, but you say something, and I'm going to be in there fighting. But we're a family, so I should be sticking up for you. I should be coming to your defense. I should be saying, hey, do you know what? You can say what you like, but when you start talking about my church or the church, I'm going to step in there. I'm going to say something. Because we won't agree on style or on music, but we will agree on purpose. We will agree on purpose. And we are called to love each other, guys. To love each other. That's the different, the difficult, and even the dangerous. And it's easy to love people who agree with me. I'm great at that. If you all agree with me, it's going to be great. We're going to get on great. But actually, God takes that even further. He says, what about your enemies, Jane? Hang on a bit, God. Aren't you taking it a bit far? This is a bit deep. This is a bit full on. But then he says, Jane, actually, do you know what? I'm good to the grateful and the ungrateful. (sighs) There's a truth I don't like to hear, but it's true. God is good to the grateful and the ungrateful. Do you know what? Doss in the film actually rescued some Japanese soldiers. The enemies that hated him. He He showed respect and dignity to everybody. Do you know what? He saw the face of God in every soldier. The face of God in every soldier. And that challenges me. There are loads of things in that film that challenge me. How often do I go out of my comfort zone to help somebody that's outside of my net? That's outside of my world. How many opportunities pass me by when I could do something for somebody? Do you know what? Let's be inspired by Desmond Doss this morning who kept praying for the opportunity just to get one more. One more. And then there's another challenge in this whole form for me, which is fulfilled in 1 Peter 2.17 that says, we need to show respect for the king. And I never thought about this when Peter wrote this, but you know who was king, who was, who was on, the, on the throne of his world when he was writing that? Nero. Nero. Do you know anything about this guy? Guy was crazy. He was burning Christians. He was putting them to the stake. He was hanging them. And Peter says, show respect for that guy? Yes. Show him the respect that he deserves. Are you going to love like that? Am I going to love like that? Am I going to have the courage of my convictions when I come up against something like that? And it's not easy. And there are probably loads of people, you know, that I don't want to respect or have a hard time liking. But I still have to treat them with dignity. 
And it couldn't have been easy for Desmond to see God in the face of every soldier and those who taunted him and been cruel to him and mocked him. But he loved them to the point of saving them. He loved them to the point of saving them, even at great risk to his own life. You see, because I don't have to compromise my conviction to show anybody compassion. You don't have to compromise what your convictions are to show anybody compassion. And you don't have to deny your conviction to be civil. And there's a word I don't hear very often anymore. You know, civility is just when I treat you with respect, even when I don't agree with you. And maybe as Christians, we could model that back into fashion. That we don't have to have our arguments blown out for the world to see. But we can treat each other with dignity and respect. And I know some of this stuff isn't easy. And that film challenged me. We could have done the whole series on that film. And it's not a popular thing to do. And Desmond found that out. But I tell you what, what he also found out, the rewards of standing up for your convictions are enormous. The rewards are enormous. And one poet put it like this. Noah built the ark, but he voyaged alone. Abraham wondered and worshipped alone. Daniel dined and prayed alone. Elijah sacrificed and witnessed alone. Jeremiah prophesied and wept alone. And Jesus loved and died alone. All for the courage and commitment to their conviction. I'm just going to invite the band to come back because we're going to celebrate the conviction of Jesus this morning. And there's no better way to do that than to do with communion. And what does communion say to me? It says to me that without the conviction of Jesus Christ, none of this would be possible. And we could speak to you about getting over your fears and having courage and being brave. But without the power of Jesus Christ, that all falls away for me. Because without Jesus Christ as my sole conviction, often what I say becomes an opinion and a preference. But because of what Jesus did this morning, his conviction to stay true, even though that truth led him to the cross, do you know what? That conviction was the same for the prostitute, for the tax collector, for the religious leader, and for you and for me this morning. That conviction is still true for me today. And the strength of that conviction is here for us this morning. And we're going to take communion and I'm going to invite you to go out for it. And I've done that on purpose because actually it would be easy to have it served and just sit here. But actually, you know, that's a really passive thing to do. Sometimes there's a need to stand up and reaffirm what our convictions are. And maybe you felt a bit this morning or felt a bit recently that actually, do you know what? I might need to bail out on this Christian thing. You know, life isn't going the way I'd planned it to go. Life is, life is really treating me rough. And that may be true, and I'm not decrying that at all. But I want to assure you that Jesus is still in your boat. And sometimes we have to speak out even when everything around us feels that that isn't true. We have to stand on our conviction and find the courage to stand. And Simon reminded us this morning of the verse that says, after everything else, still stand. And so I want to invite you to go out and, and take communion and take it as a reaffirmation of your conviction, of Jesus' conviction for you. And that above everything else, you're going to stand on that conviction because that is the truth. And that will hold you and sustain you and will keep you when everything else is rocked and blown away. 
So as the guys just start to play, I just want to invite you just to go out to the, to the four communion posts around the room and take that moment with God to reaffirm that conviction of your faith in Him. Yeah, so what am I actually saying this morning? You know, if I could wrap it up in, in, in a nutshell for you, this would be what I'd want to say to you from my heart to yours this morning. Is let's have the courage to stand. You know, let our faith inspire other people. We need to find the courage to stand our ground sometimes and stay true to what we believe and never forget that it's God's opinion that we should value over the world. You know, if Desmond Doss had compromised his convictions and let his faith crumble, 75 men would not have made it back over that cliff. But more than that, his faith inspired his actions because once we begin to compromise, guys, our faith gets weaker and weaker and weaker and it's easier to compromise and easier to compromise and then our faith starts to become very small and whilst people may mock you and make fun of you do you know what the respect they will have when they see that you don't give in that will be immeasurable because this is the truth this is the truth of what we believe when we refuse to compromise that's when people begin to take notice of what you believe when you refuse to compromise, that's when people start to take notice of what you believe. And you're never knowing who's looking. You're never knowing who's watching. You never know who's going to, you. you're going to inspire and even bring to faith when you stand true to your beliefs. Especially when those beliefs involve a sacrifice. And we're going to sing this great hymn together and continue to sing. I want to invite you to stand. And I want to leave you with this one line, a great line that I found from a guy called William Wallace. And the line is this, men do not follow titles, they follow courage. Men don't follow titles, they follow courage. Let's be a people that inspire people to follow us because of the courage that we have in our convictions this morning. Amen.